stand with us?
we have a living hope because God loves us and sent his son for us to die on a cross in our place.
Peter chapter 1, verse 3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. We have a living hope through a resurrected Savior. Well, good morning. Welcome to Northside. We're glad you're here. While you're standing, take a moment and welcome those around you. All right, if you'll return to your seats, you may be seated. I like that, Caleb. Looking sharp, man. All right, well, good morning. Welcome to Northside. We are glad that you are here to worship with us. Let me extend a welcome to you if this is your first time, uh, maybe in town visiting family or just looking for a church family. We are thrilled to have you worship with us today. We just want you to know that we have been praying for you. We want to be an encouragement and a blessing to you any way that we can. If this is your first time with us, uh, we'd appreciate if you'd let us know that. There's a couple ways you can do that. There's a QR code in the bulletin that you can scan or you can fill out a connection card um, out in uh, the, the foyer on your way out. Let me just make one announcement. We made this announcement last week. That starting this morning, and we gave the reasons why last week, if you want to know those reasons, you can go back and watch last week's uh, service online, that we're going to resume the taking up of our tithes and offerings as part of our morning worship service. And so we're going to add that today. It's going to be the way it used to be back before we stopped doing it with COVID. Um, and so you'll, you'll be aware of that. They'll come forward after we sing our hymn, and then they'll take up the offering while the choir sings their song. I did want to make just one announcement Larry Smitherman is our Deacon of the Week, and he'll be praying for the offering. In the bulletin, it talks about staff appreciation. And let me just take a moment to brag on our staff. We have an incredible staff. But in the bulletin, the deacons are asking you to give towards that. You're going to give towards that at the end of the service on the way out. If you put that gift in the offering plate when we take up the offering, that's just going to go to the general fund. So if you see that announcement and you want to give to that, we'll have two deacons that will be at the doors on your way out for the staff appreciation offering, and we do indeed have an incredible staff here at Northside. Amen? Amen. 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 So several weeks ago, um, in the opening 
message of our series that we're in in 1 Peter. I talked about how all of us have a desire to be home. We want to be home. Even if we go on vacation, we want to come back and we want to be home. And ultimately, for us, we're exiles. We're going to continue to look at 1 Peter this morning. This isn't our home. We're longing to be with Jesus. And at the beginning of that sermon, I talked about how we sing hymns about heaven and pray songs about heaven. And probably the most common song that many of us are familiar with, one of the most popular certainly, is I Can Only Imagine. So back at NBC's Got Talent, uh, Luke Johnson and Gavin Grissom were going to do I Can Only Imagine, but Gavin was under the weather. So this morning, they are going to do special music, and he's going to sing I Can Only Imagine. And so as he's singing, right, we're longing for this inheritance that the Lord Jesus has stored up for us in heaven. We're longing to see Jesus. So as he sings, let's just worship the Lord together. So Gavin and Luke, if you'll come. Imagine 
go to the Lord in prayer. Most gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for 
this beautiful day you've set upon us here, Lord. Thank you for the rains of the past week. Thank you for the relaxing uh, restoration that we've had and, and uh, our travels, those that are, have been traveling. Lord, we pray for the safety of those that are yet to return. Lord, we thank you for uh, this church and, and this staff. Thank you for each and every one that's present today, Lord. Just ask that you'd uh, bless these tithes and offerings that we're about to collect, Lord, and may they be used for uh, the furtherment of your kingdom. For it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. All right, our kiddos are going to make their way to Children's Church at this time. Our youngers, three, fours in kindergarten, and also our first and second graders. If everybody else will take your copy of God's Word and turn to 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3, 4, 5, 6, and 7. That's what we're going to be looking at. 
this morning. Peter begins this letter by telling his readers who they are in Christ. He then is going to spend some time telling his readers and reminding his readers of all that they have been given in Christ. What Christ Jesus has done for them. And there's a reason he does that. Because his readers need to understand that they are exiles living in a hostile world. But they are also exiles living in a world surrounded by so much hardship and so much hopelessness. So if you have your copy of God's Word, would you please stand in honor of the reading of God's inspired, infallible, authoritative Word. Beginning in verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. You may be seated. So this week, I put in the Google search bar, statistics on hopelessness. And this is what popped up. Let me just read four of them. According to the CDC, in 2021, more than four in 10, that's 42% of students, felt persistently sad or hopeless. Here's the next one. America's young women are not okay. Three in five teenage girls report persistent feelings of sadness, depression, or hopelessness. Here's the next one. Over one-third of women, 36.7%, now report having been diagnosed with depression at some point in their lifetime, compared with 20.4% of men. And their rate, women, has risen at nearly twice the rate of men since 2017. Here is another one. The rate of depression among college students is rising. In a 2021-2022 survey of students across 133 college campuses, 44% of students reported symptoms of depression. And 15% reported seriously considering suicide in the past year. Depression kept popping up. So then I did a search, signs and symptoms of depression. And here are the first two that were listed. Persistent, sad, anxious, or empty mood. And then it said, feelings of hopelessness. Not only are we living in a hostile world, but according to statistics... According to our reality, we are living in a world that is hopeless. Paul in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 12 writes, having no hope and without God in the world. To be without God is to be hopeless. To be cut apart, to cut off from God, to be separated from God because of our sin that has alienated us is to be without hope. Brothers and sisters, this makes Peter's words here in these verses so encouraging and so comforting. Because in a hopeless world, Peter says, you and I have a living hope. So here's the big idea this morning. In Christ, we rejoice Because of our salvation. But in Christ, we also will still suffer. But even in that suffering, we can still rejoice. 
Two of the four themes that Peter's really dealing with here in these verses, we're going to look at this morning, salvation and suffering. So let's start with the first part of that big idea. In Christ, we rejoice because of our salvation. We rejoice because of what we've been given. Look what Peter says. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He breaks out in a doxology. Starts praising God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then he says this. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again. God, right, through the Spirit, has caused us to be born again. Peter's speaking here of the new birth. This is John chapter 3. This is Jesus speaking to Nicodemus, and he says, Unless one is born again, he cannot see nor enter into the kingdom of God. So what Peter says is we have been, according to God's great mercy, born again. In other words, God gives us new life. We all have a birth date, a physical birth date, in which we're born into this world and we have parents. But what Peter's talking about is a spiritual birth, a being born again, in which we were dead in our sins and trespasses, but Ephesians says God has made us alive together with Christ. We were dead, but now we're alive. We were blind, but now we see. How would you describe your salvation? Like, how would you describe the moment you came to faith in Christ, your life before, your life after? I think one of the clearest explanations is, I was given life. Like, everything changed. I didn't realize I was dead, but now I have this life that I've been given through the Holy Spirit. I'm changed. I'm different. I see the world differently now. I've been given life. We've been born again. And that's important. Because being born again means you're now born into the kingdom of God. We have earthly parents, but through the being born again, through the spiritual rebirth, we now enter into the kingdom of God where God becomes, as we talked about last week, our father. And if God is father, then you and I become sons and daughters. According to his great mercy... He has caused us to be born again, and in having this spiritual life, we now enter into the family of God. And notice two things that he goes on to say. Number one, because of the new birth, we now have a living hope. Because of the new birth that Jesus Christ brings about in us, we have a living hope. It says we have been born again to a living hope. Peter says our hope is certain and it is sure. Our hope is not dead because it's not grounded in futile, baseless things. He says, no, you've been born again to a living hope. Why is it living? What does he go on to say? Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Brothers and sisters, understand you have a hope. Because your hope is grounded in a risen Savior. Amen? Amen? Jesus lived a sinless life. He was crucified, slaughtered, placed in a tomb. And if Jesus is still in that tomb, then of all people, we are to be most pitied. Like what we're doing here is futile. Like we're wasting our time. But if Jesus is raised from the dead, and the scripture says he is then what Peter says is sure and certain, you have been born again unto a living hope. 
We have a living hope because our hope is in a risen Savior, Jesus Christ. And because our Savior, Jesus Christ, has risen, we too live. So Peter makes this incredible statement. You, through the salvation of God, have been born again to a living hope. So let me ask you a question. Some of you maybe this week need to spend some time alone with God's word and asking the Spirit of God to really help you examine your heart. So here's the question. What are you hitching, hitching your hope to? The word hitch means to fasten oneself or itself to something. Every one of us in this room, we have hitched, we have fastened our life to something. We're looking to something to give us meaning, purpose, a reason to live, hope. And here's the reality. Listen clearly. Everything you hitch your hope to in this world will die. Everything you put your hope in that is of this world will die. Some of you, your hope is in your job. Your job is going to die. It won't always be there. Either you're going to get to the point where you physically can't do that job anymore, or your business may go under and you no longer have a job, right? At some point, this job that's your identity, this is your life, this is what you live for, will be gone. Some of you are hitching your life to an education. Now, education is important. I recommend you get an education. You're not going to be able to get some jobs without education. But here's what some of you have learned. That education, the older you get, means less and less. Because as you get older and your boss starts paying you more money, eventually they'll go hire some 25-year-old who just got out of college to pay a whole lot less money than you, and then you're out of a job. So though education is important, you can't hitch your life to that. What are you going to hitch your life to? Your health? Praise the Lord. Anybody want to praise the Lord for good health? You're like, man, I remember what that used to be like, to be healthy. Now you get up every morning and you're like, ow, oh my goodness, right? Good health is wonderful until you get older. And your body begins to decay and decline. And then you long for those days in which you were healthy. What are you going to hitch your hope to? You're going to hitch your hope to a spouse? Live long enough and you'll be at the funeral of your spouse. Or if your spouse lives long enough, they're going to be at your funeral. Marriage is incredible. I'm married to an incredible woman. But my hope can't be in her because she's not going to live forever in this world. And I'm not going to live forever in this world world. What are we going to hitch our hope to? Our favorite sports teams? <laughs> Sorry, Landon. We cheer for the Reds, the Bengals, and Kentucky. I can't tell you the number of times I've been let down, and I'm sorry to all you Braves fans who just got your hearts broken this past week. What are you can't cling to the things of this world? Why? Here's why. Time destroys most hopes. Just give it long enough and whatever you're hoping in in this world, it'll die. Except for one thing. Listen to what Warren Wearsby writes. The passing of time only makes a Christian's hope that much more glorious. Today, you're one step closer to losing everything that you find valuable in this life. But today, you're one step closer to seeing Jesus face to face. 
And tomorrow, you'll be one step closer to seeing Jesus face to face. With every passing day, our hope in Christ grows. It's intensified because we're getting closer to seeing Jesus. So the first thing he says is you've been born again to a living hope. But then he talks about how we also have a certain hope because of the new birth. Look what he says. To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. The hope of verse 3 is now described in verse 4 as an inheritance. You see, a son is an heir, an heir to an inheritance. We, as sons of God, Jesus being our elder brother, are heirs to an inheritance. Now, in the Old Testament, inheritance was very important. And for the Jewish people, that inheritance was the land that God had promised to Israel. It was the land of Canaan. It was promised way back to Abraham when God makes a covenant with Abraham, and then Isaac, and then Jacob. God's people longed for many, many years for the fulfillment of their inheritance. Something that is promised to you, but is not yours yet. While they were in Egypt, in bondage, they longed for the land. God delivers them from Egypt, and they're in the wilderness, on their way to the promised land. And because of their sin and disobedience, they have to wander for 40 years, longing for their inheritance to be realized. And finally, God brings his people into their inheritance as they enter into the promised land. Now, what does Peter say about our inheritance? Because he's taking this Old Testament idea, now he's applying it to us, the church. And he says, you have an inheritance that is imperishable. Consider the land of Canaan. Their inheritance wasn't imperishable. Their inheritance, their land was ravaged and destroyed by their enemies. But Peter says, your inheritance which is kept in heaven for you, this inheritance that will be revealed at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Your inheritance is imperishable. It is immortal, meaning death and decay cannot touch the inheritance that is kept in heaven for you. What else does he say about this inheritance? He says it's undefiled. Again, consider the land of Canaan. It was defiled by pagans and then eventually defiled by Israel's own idolatry. But consider your inheritance, Peter says, which is undefiled, meaning evil and sin cannot touch or stain the inheritance that is ready to be revealed at the revelation of Jesus Christ. But he's not done. If that wasn't enough, he says it is also unfading. The land of Canaan decayed, just like our land decays, right? It says in the Old Testament, Peter writes it here in chapter 1, the grass withers and the flowers fall. Over time, things come and they go. They live and they die. But our inheritance is unfading. It is an eternal beauty that won't wither or fade away over time. So you have this promise. As you're living in the now, but you're waiting for the not yet. You have already experienced, I pray, through the work of Jesus Christ, you've already experienced being delivered from the penalty of sin through Jesus Christ dying in your place. You should be, through the Holy Spirit and his work of sanctification, like experiencing that you are being delivered from the power of sin as you walk more and more in victory with Christ. But until Jesus comes, or until you go to see Jesus, you will always wrestle with the presence of sin. 
There will always be pain and there will be grief and there will be hurting. But Peter says a day is coming in which this salvation will be ultimately realized. But how do we know? Like, How can we be confident that one day we will receive this inheritance? Well, Peter's got good news for us. Look at the follow the last part of verse 4, an unfading, kept in heaven for you. Kept or reserved in heaven for you. That Greek word kept, it's a verb. It's a perfect passive tense. Perfect meaning it's a completed action with ongoing results. It's completed and it continues to work out today. It's passive meaning you're not doing the keeping. You're not the one keeping the inheritance, but God is keeping the inheritance. So hear me. How do you know? How can you have confidence that when you stand before Jesus, your salvation will be ultimately finalized and that inheritance will be yours? Because Peter tells us it's being kept in heaven for you. It's kept in heaven for you. That inheritance is secure. But he goes on to say not only is your inheritance secure, but God keeps you secure as well. God is preserving you. Look what he goes on to write in verse 5. This is incredible. Who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. So not only is your inheritance kept in heaven for you, but then it says who by God's power are being guarded through faith. God is guarding you. He's keeping you. How does God protect us? Don't overlook this. What does he say? Who by God's power. The all-powerful, all-sovereign God is guarding you right now, watching over you, protecting you. The very God who created ex nihilo, out of nothing, spoke what was nothing into existence. The very God who raised Jesus Christ from the dead. Peter tells us right now, he is guarding you. He's got you. You are secure. You're safe in Christ. But look what he says. Who by God's power are being guarded through faith. Through faith. The means by which he guards us is our faith. Our putting our faith and our trust in Jesus Christ. So how can we live with confidence and certainty in a hostile world, in a hopeless world, in a hard world filled with suffering? Like, can we live confidently knowing that we are saved in Jesus Christ? And according to Peter, yes, you can. Um, many of you younger folks, you don't, you're not going to understand this picture, but you know, when you're growing up and you used to order like basketball tickets or concert tickets, you, you couldn't get the ticket on your phone. Like, that wasn't a thing. I know that's hard for some of you youngins to reconcile with, but we didn't have phones. We didn't have access the way we had now. So either you had to pay for them to actually literally mail you the tickets, snail mail, or what was called will call. Like you would go to the, the window when you got to the venue and they would give you your tickets. And so my cousin is six months younger than me. He works at the University of Kentucky. And so there were multiple times when we would live in Kentucky or we'd gone back to visit, he would get me some tickets. But he couldn't mail them to me, and I couldn't meet up with them because he had to get there earlier. So he would leave them at will call. It's still a thing. And, like, I remember a couple of times driving there just thinking, man, a lot of traffic. I hope my cousin didn't forget to give them the tickets. 
Like, I'm nervous. Like, what am I going to do if I get up there and I'm like, hey, Aaron Hornsby, my cousin, you know, so-and-so, he left me some tickets. And so I'm nervous the whole way. And you walk up to the window and I'm like, yeah, this is who I am. And, and thankfully, every time they were there. And I, I breathe this, oh, thank goodness. I didn't come here for nothing. Like, I think some of us, that's how we live the Christian life. Like, every day we wake up uncertain, scared. God, are you really going to save me? God, did you really forgive me? God, am I really secure? God, when I stand before you, can I really trust in the finished work of Jesus Christ? And it's like when we get before Jesus and he's like, yeah, everything I said was true, we're all going to be like, whew, thank goodness. That's not the way to live the Christian life. Listen, your hope isn't in you. It's in the finished work of Jesus Christ that we read about through his word. So live confidently. Whatever this world can throw at you, all of hell and Satan has to offer, ain't got nothing on Almighty God. He's got you. You've put your faith in him. He will see you through. When I fear my faith will fail, Christ will hold me fast. When the tempter would prevail, he will hold me fast. But before we move on, as we transition to the next point, let me ask this question. How does God not protect us? Because some people have this, because they've been taught this, this incorrect understanding that when they give their life to Jesus, God is going to protect them from any evil and any suffering and any harm. Like, come to Jesus and all of your life will be wonderful. It'll be carefree. Peter is about to acknowledge here, we're going to dive into this in just a moment, that you and I are going to suffer. That this life is hard and it is painful. So listen to me. The health, wealth, and prosperity gospel is no gospel at all. It is no gospel. This idea, and I understand why in other countries and even in America, it is so appealing. This idea that if you come to Jesus, if you will just sow a seed, Jesus will take all of your problems away. No more sickness. You can be healthy. You can have all the money you want. I get why it is appealing, but it is a lie from the pit of hell. Nowhere does God promise to keep you from that suffering. Rather, he promises to preserve you in the midst of that suffering. So there is salvation, and we rejoice in that salvation. We walk in the security of that salvation. You have a living hope and a secure hope, but we continue in Christ, we rejoice because of our salvation. But in Christ, we recognize we will also suffer. Look what Peter goes on to write. And I don't think it's an accident that right on the heels of salvation, he goes right into this. Verse 6, in this you rejoice. In light of everything that's been said, you rejoice, rejoice, rejoice. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Notice several things about suffering. Number one, notice that suffering is temporary. It's temporary. Peter says, in this you rejoice, though now, we're talking about the now, we're waiting for the not yet, we're waiting for salvation to be finalized, to be with Jesus, but right now, right now, for a little while, for a brief while. 
Now, I've mentioned this. I've preached 1 Peter, these verses, and many funerals. And I mention this every time I preach this funeral. That this phrase, little while, can be relative. Like when we talk about a little while or a long while, it can be a relative way that we use it. And, I, and I've mentioned this. So if you say he's been a pastor of the church for a long time, you probably mean 15, 20, 25 years. But if you say he can hold his breath for a long time, you don't mean 20 years. You're dead if you do that. We mean a couple minutes. And so when we see this phrase, now for a little while, listen, compared to others and compared to a lifetime on earth, your suffering may not be a little while. It may feel like a long while. But compared to eternity, your sufferings are but a short time. And we know from God's word that these trials will not last forever for those who are in Christ Jesus. So let's just say you're born and you live to be the age of 80. And during that 80 years, you suffer for almost all of it. Like just suffering, the pain can vary. But let's just say you're suffering some physical ailment. 80 years is a lifetime. Far longer than I will have ever suffered. But take 80 years and compare it to 500 years. Compared to 1,000 years. Compared to 5,000 years. Compared to like how long you want me to go. Compared to eternity. 80 years, long time here. Compared to forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever. It's just a short little while. So yes, suffering, we all go through it. But we have to recognize it is temporary. A day's coming when Jesus Christ will be revealed and all suffering will be removed. Secondly, notice suffering is hard. By no means am I trying to trivialize suffering by saying it's just a little while. Because Peter goes on to say, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved. That word grieved means sad or sorrowful. Listen, I would not recommend you, when you're counseling with somebody who's just been diagnosed with cancer, look at them and say, hey, suck it up. Like, no big deal. Like, come on. Like, you're only going to suffer for a year or five years or ten years. I wouldn't recommend that um, counseling technique. When you walk into a funeral home and you're walking through the line to greet somebody who's just lost a loved one, I wouldn't recommend you say, hey, why are you crying? Like, Come on, suck it up. Like, stop grieving. Because the reality is, suffering is hard. It is hard. This world is hard. It's not easy day by day by day. Now listen to what Paul writes. He says that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. Please understand, Paul and Peter and the Scripture is not saying you can't grieve. They're not saying you can't shed tears. They're not saying you can't be brokenhearted. But what they are saying is you can't grieve as those who have no hope. Oh, you still grieve, but you just grieve as one who has hope. You grieve as one who believes in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So suffering is hard. Third, suffering is diverse. He says we're grieved by various trials. Trials are multifaceted. 
Sometimes it's temptation, sometimes it's suffering, right? Sometimes it's trouble, it's trials. It comes in multiple forms, from stubbing a toe, painful, to stepping on Legos, painful. Kids, if you have Legos, please pick them up. Don't let your parents step on them. Like, it hurts for a moment. It doesn't feel good. So whether it's from stubbing a toe to being diagnosed with terminal cancer, trials come in various forms. From losing a job to maybe losing a house because it catches on fire to losing a spouse to losing a child to losing your own life because of persecution for your faith in Jesus. Trials are various. And here's the reality. Everyone in this room, you have a different story. Some of you in this room know the grief and pain of bearing a spouse. Some of you have no clue. Some of you know the deep grief of having to bury a child. Some of us will never know that pain. Some of you have walked through cancer. Some of you have had a husband or a wife walk out on you. Some of you have lost your job and had to eventually file bankruptcy because you couldn't make ends meet. Every one of us in this room has a different story. Trials come in diverse forms and they're hard. But notice the last thing. Suffering is purposeful. It's purposeful. He says, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials so that the tested genuineness of your faith. Let me read this into Philip's translation. It says, this means tremendous joy to you, I know, even though you are temporarily harassed by all kinds of trials and temptations. This is no accident. It happens to prove your faith, which is infinitely more valuable than gold. And gold, as you know, even though it is ultimately perishable, must be purified by fire. It says, the tested genuineness of your faith. Listen, I don't know about you, but I find so much comfort in what God says in Romans 8, 28. Hear me, our God is not the author of evil. He is not the author of sin. Everything our God ever does is good, wise, and holy. But our God, because he's all-powerful, can take that which was meant for evil and somehow, in his grace and in his providence, use it for good. If we're going to have to suffer, I'm thankful I have a God who can still bring purpose and meaning out of it other than a God who says, yes, sorry, nothing I can do about that. Just figure it out on your own. So suffering has a purpose. Even though it's hard, even though it's difficult, there is a purpose. Because look what Peter says. The tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire. Gold is precious. Gold is valuable. Here in America, we don't have gold in our pockets or in our house. We have cash. We have money. Money in the bank. It's valuable. It means a lot to people here. What does Peter say? Peter says that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold. Listen to what R.C. Sproul writes. God values your faith more than he values your gold or your present comfort. God values your faith more than he values your being comfortable. God is more concerned with you being holy and righteous and like his son than he is us being comfortable living out the American dream. Is it wrong to be comfortable? Is it wrong to enjoy the blessings of God? No, but that's not ultimately what God's after is your being comfortable. 
He wants your faith to grow. He wants you to be faithful to him. So gold, so faith is more precious than gold. Gold, Peter goes on to say, is tested by fire. Fire burns away the impurities of gold. Trials have a way of burning away our sin. Trials have a way of burning away pride. Trials have a way of burning away self-confidence. Like the things that we hold the most dear to, when we lose them, we realize, what do I got left? And so we stop trusting in self and we begin to trust in the Lord. Listen to what Paul David Tripp says. He says, now, right, because Peter talks about, though now, now isn't meant to be comfortable, but transformational. Your present life now is meant to be transformational. Why? Because one day you're going to see Jesus. And so God right now is in the process of making us more like Jesus so we're more ready to see Jesus. He's preparing us for that moment that we see Jesus. Listen to what Warren Wearsby writes. It has been said that the eastern goldsmith kept the metal in the furnace until he could see his face reflected in it. Until he could see his face reflected in the gold. I wonder sometimes if God in his grace doesn't leave us in that fire a little bit longer until he can say, now I can see my son in you. Because what's going to make you most like Jesus is walking through some of the hardest things you'll ever go through in your life. Because it's in that moment when you begin to realize, is your faith that you claim on the mountaintop, now that you're in the fire and in the valley, do you really believe what you have always said you believe? So God is working in us. But also, Peter says, gold ultimately perishes. Eventually, everything in this world will decay or be burned up, but not our faith. Persevering in the midst of suffering reveals the genuineness or the authenticity of our faith. Thomas Schreiner writes, genuine faith leads to faithfulness. Genuine faith leads to our being faithful. And so Peter says, listen, you have this living hope. You've been born again. You have this inheritance that is waiting for you. But now you're here in a hostile world. And let's just be honest, in a scary world. Right now what's going on in the Middle East, this could be over tomorrow. This could escalate to things that, that some of you saw if you were around or hurt right after World War II. But that we haven't seen in years. Like, this is tumultuous times to be alive. People are suffering. People are hurting. And one day, one day we'll stand before Jesus. And I love the song, uh, Though You Slay Me. Um, it says, my heart and flesh may fail. The earth below give way. But with my eyes, with my eyes, I'll see the Lord. Lifted high on that day. Behold, the lamb that was slain, and I love this, and I'll know every tear was worth it all. One day, every tear, every hurt, every pain, every suffering that we go through, when we stand before Jesus, we'll say it was worth it all for this moment right here to see you face to face. And so we're almost done. Let's wrap up. In Christ, we rejoice because of our salvation, but in Christ, we also suffer. But even in that suffering, we can still rejoice. So brothers and sisters, we live in a hostile world. We live in a hard world. We're surrounded by hopelessness. But in the midst of that hostility and in the midst of that despair, we have hope. Hope in the midst of our trials. Hope in the midst of hostility. And then look at verse 7, and then we're done. 
the end of verse 7, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, commentaries talk about this could mean one of two things. This may, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Could be that when, we, when Christ is revealed and we see Christ, it is the people of God who are praising him, glorifying in him, honoring him, right, worshiping his name as we will do for all eternity. It can certainly mean that. But it can also mean that when God returns, the praise and the glory and the honor is not us giving it to Jesus, but God the Father bestowing it upon us, his sons. Certainly in the form of a heavenly reward. This is God when he comes back and he finds his people faithful, giving delight in them. God, when he finds his people faithful, God's expression of his approval. The well done, thy good and faithful servant. Well done. Well done. Listen, do you have this morning a living hope? Or would you say, Pastor, my hope is hitched to this, that, or the other, something in this world, it is not in Christ. Have you ever confessed your sins and repented of your sins and put your faith in the name of Jesus alone to save you? If you haven't, listen, I love you. You may think you have hope, but all I can do is declare the word of God. And it says that if you are without God and you're without God unless you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, then you are without hope. Your hope will not last. Only Jesus will last. If you've never given your life to Jesus, give your life to Jesus. And then to my brothers and sisters, know who you are. And know what God has given you. Live in that hope. Rest in God's securing you, his sons and daughters. And even when you suffer, you can rejoice. Because we grieve as those who have hope. Hope in the name of Jesus. Would you close your eyes and bow your heads? Father, we come to this final song, getting to the conclusion of this time of worship when your people have come. Yes, God, because you call us to come, you command us not to forsake the assembling of one another. But what I believe most of us are here because we desire to be here. We through being born again, through the work of the Holy Spirit in our heart, we want to gather with the people of God to sing the praises of God, to sit under the preaching of the Word of God, and to offer up our thanks and gratitude to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. But God, the reality is some maybe came in here not knowing you. Some maybe came in here beat up from the things of the world this past week. Some maybe came in here discouraged and feeling hopeless and down. And oh God, I pray that through the preaching of your word, your spirit lifted up our eyes so that we could be reminded of the hope, of the inheritance, of the salvation that is ready to be revealed at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And God, if anybody here this morning is feeling hopeless, down, discouraged, I pray, my prayer is that they will find a brother or a sister in Christ. That they'll come talk to myself, Pastor Gary, maybe talk to their deacon, their deacon's spouse, and just say, hey, I need prayer. 
that right now as we sing, if somebody needs prayer, that they'll grab somebody by the hand and say, hey, will you come pray that my eyes would be fixed upon the living Savior, Jesus Christ. Maybe, God, we're just overwhelmed the things that are going on in this world, and we just want to come and offer up a prayer, a prayer to the God who is able to do all things. Maybe we're brokenhearted for somebody who's an unbeliever, or maybe we've been praying about the Lord's next step in our life and how we can walk in obedience. Lord, as we sing this last song, just speak to our hearts. Encourage us, convict us, bring about repentance in our life and a greater dependence upon you and remind us of the living hope that we have in Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand? Let's worship together. The altar is open if you want to come kneel and pray. Full of grace. 
So lift it up, lift it up, endless praises to our God, full of grace, full of love, and He's reigning over us, and I know you are faithful, and you are worthy, God, this is who you are. So it's just several announcements I want to go through uh, quickly. Please pay attention to your bulletin. We have Parents' Night Out. That's going to be this Saturday, October 21st. Miss Heather will be in the lobby. Uh, if you still are wanting to volunteer for that, let her know. If you plan on bringing your children, you can register and pay. This is a, a ministry that we want to offer to those of you who have kids. Um, just to get a night away with you and your spouse, how important and valuable that is. So take us up on that offer. Uh, a couple missions items. Uh, we're having an interest meeting next Sunday after the worship service about Ecuador, if you're interested in a trip to Ecuador. Of course, we have a Casas Por Cristo trip planned in February. A couple things if you're interested in going to that. And also, don't forget about an opportunity that we have to give to support that trip as they're building a house Right, and the cost of that house is well over $10,000, and so we have an opportunity to help. So the envelopes are out there on the wall. The instructions are there. You can give from a low amount to a really high amount, but please give to support that. Bridging the gap, um, if you have green beans or corn, you can bring those tonight, but they got to be back by next Sunday, so bring that. We need help with the fall festival. There's still several slots we need people to sign up for, some tags that you can take. And then also, in a couple weekends, we're going to be having a Worldview Weekend. Uh, coincides with the end of our upward season, and so that information um, is in there. we got several opportunities. We'll talk more about that next week, but go ahead and save the dates for Saturday 11-4 and Sunday 11-5. So typically, we end our service um, by one of our Deacon of the Week coming up and praying. But by adding the offering in... The deacon of the week is now praying for the offering. So we're like, okay, now how are we going to end our services? So starting this morning, we're going to end in a different way. One of the things that I say and want to say more often is that we are to live sent. When you leave this building, you are being sent on mission with the gospel of Jesus Christ to go into the nations to tell people about Jesus. So this morning as we end our service, we're going to read... From Matthew 28, 18 through 20. This is going to be a group effort. We're going to do this week after week. We're going to stand. We're going to read it together. And so the more we do this, the more comfortable it will get. It's a reminder that we're to live sent. And hopefully, as we do it enough, you'll have some scripture memorized. So it's going to be on the screen. So if you'll stand, I'm going to lead you in the reading of this. Pastor Gary is going to be out there in the foyer shaking hands this morning. And then he and I are going to rotate doing this. Some weeks I'll be out there, and then eventually, as everybody's comfortable, 
We'll ask other people in the church maybe to come up, maybe families to come up and to lead us in saying the Great Commission and that eventually we'll do some different scriptures. So this is Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Say it with me as we end our service. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Go and live sent. Amen.